Lamar Jackson home. Today I am joined by Frank McMean. Uh, he wears a lot of hats, but he's the president of the West Tennessee, Health Can- West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation, and he also is the proprietor of Miss Ollie's. I don't know if proprietor is the right word. Well, I'm the building, and so I, I show up there every now and then. Okay, so so Frank, um, you have a, you're very involved in Jackson, but let's start about talking about who is Frank. So if someone asked you that, what would you say? <clears throat> I'm I'm just just a person that loves my city and mm-hmm. and uh, have a rich uh, heritage. I have a wonderful family mm-hmm. from Columbia, Tennessee. Um, went to Freed Hardeman, kind of grew up at Freed Hardeman, mm-hmm. and spent most of my life at Freed Hardeman, and then made a transition to Jackson and became more involved in Jackson. Yeah. which led to my employment in Jackson and mm-hmm. at the foundation. And I think I made a lot of very good choices there. Mm. So so, so you're originally from Columbia, home of the, the Mule, Mule Festival. The Mule Capital of the World, that's the right. Dimple of the Universe. The Dimple of the Universe. That's interesting. Yeah. I'll have, uh, Matt Altabell is also from, He's from Columbia. Um, so you've been in Jackson since after Freed Hardman, just about then. Yes, I moved here um, to Jackson in 1991. Okay, so um, it's a lot longer than I've from been here. Columbia, by the way. I yeah, I mean, Columbia. move to the big city. Um, yes, actually, I don't know how big Columbia is, but uh, so what? Um, do you have family here, or I have two dogs. Two dogs. Two okay, dogs. Um, and their names. Uh, Lucky Reeds. and Minnie. Lucky and Minnie. Lucky Dog and Minnie Mutt. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, what What does Frank do in his free time? Well, Frank doesn't have a lot of free time. <laughs> um, I love working on a house. I love mowing the yard. I don't get to do those things much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of weird that you love mowing grass. But... I do not understand that at all, yeah. but I have lots of time to mow the grass, so yeah. maybe we could trade a little I get, bit. I get frustrated because I have to mow it very quickly mm. to move on to do something else, but I love mowing grass. I love painting a house. I love things that most people would go, are you crazy? And yeah. I like doing those things because um, I, I was redoing an old Victorian house one time, and I was taking the paint off the house with a heat gun, a very long, drawn-out thing, but you can think when you do those things mm. when I'm mowing the grass uh, I can think doing those things you know, mm. you're, you're doing something that's very non brain processing mm-hmm. and so you can think Freeze about cycles to mm-hmm. think about things and so I will I will vent in mowing grass uh-huh. and and I will think through stuff and it's very beneficial for me to mow grass so if someone drives past and see you screaming at the lawnmower it's not the lawnmower it's not the lawnmower i won't be screaming but i may be screaming in my head okay okay gotcha and so you we're talking about remodeling house is that something is that a hobby of yours well i've in the time that i've been here i've remodeled 11 homes and and one building downtown and um, I, i was at a time when i was doing one a year and that's kind of Aggressive. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes my life gets to be kind of aggressive, and mm-hmm. um, but anyway, I, that's a neat thing to do. I don't know if you've talked about that with Frank Hay, but Frank Hay loves remodeling houses. Yes, and I don't do them at the at the caliber he does. You know, he okay. would take a half million dollar house in Florida. You know, I would buy a house for five thousand dollars or twenty thousand mm-hmm. or forty thousand. Of course, that's twenty five years ago. Yeah, and and would take one and redo it. 
uh, we don't have very many homes, kind of like what Frank Yeah, that's a renovated. pretty specific market. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you all involved, what are you all involved in in town? Well, I'm on this, I, I'm involved with the symphony. Okay. Uh, involved with Asper Recovery, both of those having been on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of things on the side in, in helping nonprofits that I'm preferably not on, on a board of an organization. I'm the state president of a, a, the state's oldest historical uh, organization, and my second term ends, well, it really kind of ended in June, on June 30, and it's going, I think, to August the 23rd when my term will end. Uh, and that's been a real rewarding and, and interesting uh well, tell me about why. So, what draws you to a historical committee? I don't. I don't know. It just. I. I like things. This is kind of weird. I like things that are broken, mm-hmm. and then you fix those things. Mm-hmm. I bought a house one time. I lived. I lived on at four hundred six North Highland, and I didn't have a very big backyard. And I was trying to buy this gentleman's backyard or a portion of it. He had like two backyards, and. And he said, no, why don't you just buy the entire house? And I thought, I don't want a house. I want a backyard. <laughs> and so we kept talking. In about a year, we kept talking. And finally one day he said, well, why don't you just buy the backyard, the whole house? And I said, well, what do you, how much do you want for the house? And he said, I don't know. This is a Victorian house. He said, I don't know, maybe $7,500. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want the guy to think that it's like I was too eager. You didn't want to give it away. Yeah, so I mean, but in like, your head, you're already writing the check. Well, I'm going. <laughs> I I really wanted to pay that for the backyard, not yeah. for the entire house yard, and then then the other backyard. And so I went to my house, which was next door. I said, um, "Kevin, I need fifteen thousand dollars." He goes, "What do you need fifteen thousand dollars for?" I said, "To buy." I said, "To buy a house." And he goes. You're going to buy a house for fifteen thousand dollars? I said, No, I'm going to buy a house for seventy five hundred dollars. I need a roof to go in that house for for seventy five hundred dollars. <laughs> and so that was just kind of a funny moment where um, that kind of started a process mm. of, of me doing that. So in renovating that house, and then the house next door to that, and getting a house torn down that was on the other side mm-hmm. of me, and then just slowly buying homes. In an area of Midtown, when no one really before wanted, it was cool. yeah, long before it was cool. In 1991, John Hogan's had renovated two homes on North Highland, the only homes that that had been renovated. And then you begin to look at um, what was around it. I moved into a very blighted neighborhood. It was scary, mm. um, and and to kind of start at a time when it was not cool, mm-hmm. and then to live through these the changing times of, of downtown and midtown. Mm-hmm. You know, we led the way with Lana. We, mm. we started that organization, which has been a really neat organization for young families. Mm-hmm. And they yeah, get involved, and, and it becomes the cool thing to do. Well, back in 1991, Lana was something we had to fight for. The, mm. the city really didn't want us to do anything. Our city councilman, they took offense of a neighborhood organization trying to tell people what to do. and. And all we wanted to do was stop rental property. Yeah. You couldn't build a fourplex or anything bigger, and you could not um, make it easy for slumlords to live there and, and create this horrible problem that most midtowns have. Mm-hmm. 
And so we have at times been very successful. And then we have fought people that have really gone after Midtown and me and other people that tried to lead that effort uh, to attack us. And um, anyway, we survived that. You see the success of downtown. Yes. And, do you and, still live in Atlanta? I do. And yeah. are still part of the organization? I've lived within two blocks of very, my very first house. Well, really one block. And most of the houses that I've renovated are right there to where I can see them. Mm-hmm. A couple have been on Lambeth, and then one's been in East Orleans, which is a little farther away from me. But mm-hmm. um, but it's this, <clears throat> so that's kind of when you discover that you really like this historical nature of things. So how does one get involved <clears throat> in the historical commission? Like, how does that... Well, I think when you start getting involved with your your area, mm-hmm. like I started doing this in, the, in, in Jackson, and the mayor asked me to chair the historical zoning board, so I did that for seven years. And I grew up knowing about the APTA, which is the Association for the Preservation of Tennessee Antiquities. Okay. Started in 1951, and it owns 14 historical properties across the state. And just through friends who were involved at one way or another, they asked me to be on that board, and then I became chairman of that board. And my term as president ends uh, in August. So it just you just kind of happen to be in a certain place, mm-hmm. and and people ask you, will you come help us do this? Or um, yeah. So that's how that happens. And you just kind of you just it's like a stepping stone, and one thing leads to another. And if it hadn't been for buying my first house in Jackson by accident. It, I just bought a house for a two-story, three-bedroom home, three baths for $20,000. Just happened to be 100 years old. And, yeah. And no one had happened to live in it for 30 years. And and it, it one thing, once again, just... Um, uh, it was funny because when I went in to look at the house and, and it was in bad shape and abandoned, just, you know, mm-hmm. people locked the doors and just left it. And so when we, the realtor showed me the house and, and we're getting ready to leave, and I said, can you show me the house again after I think about this? He said, how about if I give you the key? No one is interested in this house, <laughs> which should have been a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, red flags. Mm-hmm. But. So I ended up buying, selling. Mm-hmm. I sold my truck. I had a new truck. sold my truck and bought a used truck to pay for the house, to get the house started, and my banker, didn't want to loan me the money for this first house. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, uh, he, he he got me involved with John Allen Construction, mm-hmm. and John's been involved in every house since then in, in a major way. But that first house brought a lot of people into my life that have been very important and, and key people in my life, like David and Laurie Horton. He was my appraiser, and we got to know him. And John, um, John Allen, and a lot of this would not have happened without John. Um, Jonathan Harlan. Without Jonathan Harlan, uh, uh, Lana would not be what Lana is. And, and most people don't know that. That was those beginning years mm-hmm. where people started because they were very committed to what Midtown should be. Mm-hmm. And it was just like beginning a country. You get these folks together and you, now what do we do? <laughs> and you just kind of work through all the processes. Yeah. And, and people like Jonathan, they understood it and, and helped us, helped guide us through the process about changing some, some governance over what happens in, to homes in very historic communities. And, 
and that changed Midtown in many ways. Yeah, and I think we are seeing, I mean, definitely seeing the fruits of that today. Yeah. And I think downtown's taking a similar trajectory. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that as downtown is growing and developing and changing what our downtown is, it's beginning to have an impact on the, the least livable parts of Midtown. And so that soon those homes that are substandard, mm-hmm. they'll be gone. Slum lords will be somewhere else, and it will have a major impact. In fact, it will probably kind of be like a tidal wave because once all the bad stuff is gone mm-hmm. and either have been renovated or torn down, then you end up with the the normal parts of Midtown. Their, their property values will go up tremendously. Mm-hmm. You'll notice the, the um, property values or the uh, the cost of those new homes in downtown. They're not cheap. No. And they're not. building them as fast as they can. So. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting to see the next few years when you see the downtown begin to encroach upon Midtown in a very positive way mm-hmm. and change the property values of all the people who've been here for a long time. Yeah. I remember when, when Lambeth University closed and people would come to the, the Lana meetings and they were very discouraged about what's going to happen to our community, what's mm-hmm. going to happen to my property values. And at that time, there were, there were just beginnings of discussions with the University of Memphis. And so all the, all the organizations that were beginning to look at how do we, we purchase this property mm-hmm. and how do we give it to the university, therefore putting a state university in our Midtown area, it was almost too good to be true. And so here you had some of the best people in the world who had spent their entire life. They raised a family in Midtown. They, they uh, always pay their taxes. They vote. They do all the things that you want people to do in your community. And here the, the most loyal part of your communities in Midtown, the older citizens who are never a problem, mm-hmm. they're losing hope. And then they're like, is there really any hope that the University of Memphis will will take this property because they saw that as as their last hope because they fought and fought and fought and fought and then it happened Mm -hmm. and it was like every dream come true while it wasn't going to be as large as you might find a UT Martin at this point someday it will be and it will have a major impact on the property values well some of our older citizens they may not make it to be able to see that day come to fruition but there are people that are there now who have fought a very hard battle to keep slumlords away, mm-hmm. put families back into homes that are beautiful, well-made, uh, invest sweat equity into some really neat mm-hmm. homes. Um, so I think that day is coming, and it's sooner than later. And the, the next phase of, of what's happening downtown as it continues to grow north will uh, remove, it'll remove a building mm-hmm. that no one wants it's just that that church is just very historic but then again it's not there's not anything that is we're talking about the old west, west jackson, jackson baptist church on dedrick dedrick yeah mm-hmm. and it's great to have it there but things have to be of of some value of an ongoing basis and if a church family or a church home doesn't or a church in our community doesn't want to move there and take over that, that, it's a huge building. Yeah. And it would, would be uh, probably a large expense. 
if that's not going to happen, that building doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. It's like in any community, it's economics. Yeah. What does it take for that building or that home? Sometimes we tear down homes. We tear down, home, down homes because, uh, historic homes, because there's no economic way of making it work. Mm-hmm. Or at least they don't see it at the time. If you go and you look at some historic pictures, if you go on Facebook and look at Historic Jackson. Yeah, which do you run? You I run, run that, that, yeah. It's great. And, I enjoy it. Yeah, and you look at some of the homes that were along East Chester, um, and you think, why in the world would they tear those homes down? Well, they tore them down when the people of Jackson no longer saw value in that home being there. Mm-hmm. No one wanted to buy that home and renovate it, and, and people will complain that we just tear everything down. And I wanted to ask that person, what have you done lately to save a house? Yeah. Did you, you want to buy it? <laughs> yeah, did you want to buy it, invest your time and money and, and sweat equity in that home? They didn't do that. They just want to complain. We tear everything down. Well, we don't. When there's something that someone wants to save, uh, people do that. Glenda Baker. Glenda Baker has renovated some, well, some of the neatest homes, and she took them when they didn't have a roof on them. And she just loves doing that. Well, um, at some point, if they're... If you have a, a large block of homes and you don't have enough Glenda Bakers or Frank McMeans or whoever it may be, mm-hmm. you're going to tear some homes down. Yeah. And, and I'm all in favor of tearing homes down if no one is going to step up to the plate and do that. And it's a, it's a big commitment. It is a big commitment. And if you do it, it can be a, a beautiful home. You know, I live in a home that's 110 years old. Love that home. I have, I, in my mind, I have one more house to do. I know where the house is. The people that own the house, they don't know that I'm looking at their house, but I'm thinking, you know, that'd be a lot to put into that home. So that's not something you want to reveal right here. No, okay. <laughs> but, you know, they still live in that house. Okay. <laughs> but then I think, that is such a neat home, and no one's touched it. No one's loved it in a long mm-hmm. time. But it could be a beautiful home. Well, I'm not to the point time-wise, um, mentality-wise, I'm just, that dream is in there. And, mm-hmm. and every now and then I'll drive a friend by and I go, see that house? I want to buy that house. I want to live in that house. And then I go home and I go, do I really want to do that? Because mm-hmm. you know, I, I do get tired at the end of the day. So. Well, that's that just means you're human, Frank. Yeah. Well, let's head into the first break and we'll come back and we'll talk about another one of your ventures, okay. Miss Ollie. So between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, this is our Jackson home. Healthcare Foundation and the proprietor, Miss Ollie's. Uh, in the last segment, we talked about Midtown, so let's head a little downtown um, and talk about Miss Ollie's. Now, uh, it's a piano bar. Yes. I haven't, I don't, so full disclosure, I don't drink, so I've never been, uh, but I don't hear the word piano bar thrown around a lot nowadays. Uh, let me just make one thing clear, too. I, if I drink, I rarely drink. Mm-hmm. I've never been drunk in my life, and um, on a rare occasion, I'll have something. But anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I've never been there. Yeah. Just It's not not a scene I normally hang out in, but I don't hear the word piano bar thrown around a lot. What does that mean? Well, let's go back eight years ago, nine years ago. Okay. Um, in, in choosing places to 
to do to like renovate a house and you buy a house or um, you kind of have this you're kind of drawn to do that and uh, about nine years ago having finished the concrete plant loft apartments and a couple of other houses I thought I always wanted to own a building downtown mm-hmm. and I was on the board for downtown development as chairman of that board and during my time there wasn't anything to do downtown the tavern wasn't there um, <clears throat> in at that time buildings were boarded up downtown really wasn't um, uh, anything like it is it was, today. yeah nothing yeah you know if we had Pokemon go they were they've <laughs> gone to look at abandoned buildings mm-hmm. now a couple of things changed we had a tornado and there were, money was fl- was flushed mm-hmm. into downtown renovating but still you had restaurants that came and went and uh, and buildings that were partially redone but you didn't have places where you could go and eat you could go and and, and have a meeting and so um, having loved downtown and thought it'd be really cool to live downtown mm-hmm. I began to look at buying a building downtown. And so I looked at uh, a, a building over on Chester and I looked at a couple of other potential buildings that were, nothing was happening in them. They were for sale. And so I, I wanted to renovate a building. And so I, um, Jody Parrish showed me this building at 111 East Lafayette and it was a bar call or a pool hall called Shooters that had been Buddy's Pool Hall. Mm-hmm. When Buddy's was downtown on Liberty on the second floor, yeah. very historic. I used to work in David Eblen's office, which, uh-huh. which used was. To be, you can still see the, the where the stools were in the floor. That is cool. Well, um, in looking at this building, I remember Jody took me in the building and it smelled of smoke and had lots of pool tables in there and it was built in 1845 and I thought this is a cool it's huge this mm-hmm. huge building 22,000 square feet of a building and so in looking at that it, it's it's kind of like you get this fever and so I, I was thinking about downtown and she showed me that building and once again it was it was at a time that no one really wanted to go downtown. Mm-hmm. And so the building next door was a shell. That, I don't know what happened. It, it just, it was boarded up and you could fall into the to a hole. It was just that bad. Mm-hmm. And TLM had announced that they were coming, which made people think, why would you move downtown? What's downtown? But anyway, I ended up getting, asking Jody if I can come back and look at the building and she got me a key. Got me a key to a building that was a business that was functioning every night, and I could come and go in this building, which was just really kind of weird. Wait, so there was okay, so the business was active in it. It was active okay. there, and so they gave me a key. So I and so this and I would is go the in. trick. So <clears throat> realtors, if you're listening, give me the key to a building, <laughs> and you're gonna buy it. So that's <laughs> and, a free tip. To and so what I would do, I would go in there in the daytime, like I'd get off from work, and I'd go in the building. And the people that owned the building and ran, it was called Shooters, they would, there's a little mezzanine area that they had like an apartment up there. And so they were always asleep. So I would come in there and it was funny because I would take masking tape 
And I would begin to look at what could I put here, walls and things, and just trying to think of what could this building be. Mm-hmm. It had these really cool columns down the middle of it. Um, it, it. It was set up to be a pool hall, and it wasn't very pretty, and it wasn't very functional. And, and so I thought, you know, it'd be cool to own a building and put something in this building. It had an aluminum awning out front. It was had it had bird nests in it and pigeons in it. It it was just kind of bizarre. And there was a big aluminum sign over the top. Um, and it had these guns in the windows, which I'm thinking, you know, you, you give it five more years from from that time, and when we were really having lots of guns, you know, mm-hmm. people being shot, I thought that would carry a brand new meeting called you have yeah. a a place called Shooters. So <laughs> I ended up buying the building. And so I just started working on the building and, and with this idea of if there was some place that would bring people downtown, be very nice. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know the concept because I was still working on the building. And um, uh, started out with it was going to be like a dance club in the back and a pool hall in the middle and then a front part that was very very nice that you could come and with leather couches and things and and what came of that it was kind of a kind of a, like an amoeba it just how do things work and not having done this before but being working on working on the building the the product at the end came along afterwards, and that's not the mm. way you do it. Not usually, no. No. And so, um, as I was working on the building, I ran into uh, Rachel that ran, um, Rachel Dick, it was Rachel Dixon, but Dixon's art gallery, and she was wanting to get out of the art business. She was across the street, and so, uh, in talking with her, we started this, this concept of a, a piano bar, and having pool tables and um, with the idea that it was going to be called Buddy's Saloon and Dance Hall, which, mm-hmm. which would have this kind of country kind of, but it would, the idea was bring people in and they can get young people in the back, people that wanted to play pool in the middle, and then uh, people that wanted to have um, a cocktail or something in the front. Mm-hmm. And um, then uh, as we progressed, it became, uh, well, uh, Libby Murphy and I were going somewhere, and, uh, and she said, have I ever told you about a lady in Jackson called uh, Ollie Pope? And I went, no, I, I don't know about Ollie Pope. And she goes, well, she goes by the name of Miss Ollie, or she went by the name of Miss Ollie. I said, I remember that Van Harlan that had an insurance company downtown, one day I said, who was Miss Ollie? Because he had her business card on the wall. And... <laughs> And so he began to tell me about Miss Ollie, about what she did for a living, and I thought that was kind of funny. Well, Libby talked about that from the historical perspective, and so I thought, that's kind of a cool name, Miss Ollie's, and she said, you know, name something after her in there. If it's... I don't think most people know what Miss Ollie did for a profession. She was a professional woman. She ran a business. She worked mainly at night. (laughs) She worked about an hour, I (laughs) think. And she was located at... 522 South Liberty, which which is on the south side, 
the south side of downtown near the train station. Um, and if you can't figure it out from there, there you go. You need some Google. help. Yeah, but, this, so, okay. So, so, so anyway, name something after her. her. Or, and so um, we'd been to a fundraiser. And so uh, we came back and I'm driving home and I thought, that's kind of a cool name, Miss Ollie mm-hmm. or and Miss Ollie's. And so I called my friends at, at Blue August who were designing a logo for Buddy Saloon and Dance Hall, which was kind of a cool logo. And I said, do you think you can come up with a logo for, for a, a place called Miss Ollie's? And so they said, who was Miss Ollie's? And, and which is funny because their office was right next to the building where I saw the first Miss Ollie's business card. Okay. And uh, which was the, the business card that she had was really kind of funny too. It was a rooster chasing a hen. And the motto was, it's new business we're looking for because we take really good care of old business. (laughs) And so we ended up having, coming up with Miss Ollie's, and they came up with a very elegant design Mm -hmm. of a person in a tuxedo with a a little tray and a bottle of wine and a martini. And so that started Miss Ollie's. Mm And we, we had the logo, but, you know, um, the, the business model was forming. And anyway, eight years later, it's still there. Uh, just started our eighth year. And um, Chris Stanford runs it very effective in what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I do is show up every now and then and stay out of his way. Mm-hmm. And he has turned the business into its own entity and and becoming a very vibrant part of downtown Jackson. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I about decided if if Chris at some point when I either retire or and and that's his to run that if he decides he doesn't want to do that, we're out of that business mm-hmm. and that bit well somebody else will take over that business and 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 we'll move on to something else and redo some houses. But it has been a very interesting ride for the last eight years and it's been uh, in many ways a very fun uh, and educational experience you know not having uh, renovated a building mm-hmm. like that and being involved in, in that type of thing you know, I've been involved where people live you know their home not a business and in downtown you know you have your your building and outside of that building you don't have a parking lot generally you don't have an, a patio. You don't, you just have a building, and so when you deal with a building, you have to look at, okay, how can people go outside and and you know, so Miss Ollie's is non-smoking, and there's people that do smoke come there, but they can't do that inside. And mm-hmm. so anyway, it's been an interesting um, ride for eight years, and it's never a dull moment. Always fun, and. Um, We've done everything from having Bible studies on a regular basis. And we kid that there's more discussions about Jesus in Miss Ollie's than probably anywhere other than a church. That's, that's very possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, Frank, let's head into the last, to the second break, and we'll, we'll come back and talk about the foundation. So from our front porch to yours, this is our Jackson home.
we're back from our Jackson home here with Frank McNeed. He is the president of the West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation, and that's what we're going to spend this last segment talking about, Frank. So what is the West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation? Technically, the West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation is a community foundation. It's just like the Memphis Community Foundation and Nashville. You have a, a community foundation that you can do all kinds of things with. We have 600 funds where people come to us and say, I would like to do X. Mm -hmm. For example, Michael Richardson came and said, I want to provide a way for special needs kids to be able to play sports. I want them to play baseball. Mm -hmm. So he started out with, it was called um, special needs baseball. And, and he had foundation on that. And so as we're going, I'm going, I remember the first time I went out there to see them play baseball. I saw the, the stands at um, Toad Bailey Park. You have these huge grandstands, it was full of people, and they were cheering. And the, the hot dog stand was, customers were lined up. The field was full of little kids and big kids. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, who are these people in the stands? And he goes, well, that's the moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers. And I said, well, who are these grown-ups, these kids out here, these adult kids? Um, and he said, that's volunteers. And you notice that there's a, an adult or a, a, an older kid with a special needs kid. And I sat there and I saw this for the first time these people in the stands are doing what every parent wants to do. Mm-hmm. They want to cheer. And I get teary-eyed thinking of this. They want to cheer when they see their kid hit a ball and run to base mm-hmm. or to run around and be able to come home. Yeah. And they got to do something they had not done in eight years or five years or because everything that they've had to do, they've had to push, pull, drag. They have... They have a child that needs love. Mm-hmm. And in that child, in that body, is a child that's wanting to come out and do all the things that, um, get emotional here, <laughs> do all the things that every other kid wants to do. They want to run and play and color and sing and dance and, and um, uh, do all the things that every other kid wants to do. Yeah. And they were not able to. And so Michael was allowing kids to do what every kid can do without parents having to push, pull, or drag. Mm-hmm. And that kid could laugh and cheer when, and, and you know, people could applaud when they touched home base yeah. or he made a, a shot playing basketball or was able to go play putt-putt. Um, and Michael had this dream of doing that. And so when we heard that, it's like, sure, we want to make you successful at doing that. You look at people like, um, that started Scarlet Road, the Scarlet mm-hmm. Road project. Yeah, Glenn Buckley yeah. and some others. And and when they came and said, we want to provide an option for people who need to get away from a lifestyle, mm-hmm. we're going, we're in it with you. Well, what does being in it with them mean? So at a we, very practical level. Okay, we become everything legally for them to operate. They don't have to go and apply to the IRS to be a 501c3. Mm-hmm. They don't have to send out receipts. They don't have to send out reminders. They don't have to send out. We take over the backroom stuff to where all they do 
they, they raise the money, mm-hmm. comes to us, we send every donor a receipt. Mm-hmm. They put together the program. If it's Scarlet Rope, what do you do with these young ladies when you, when you have them in your care? What do you do with these special needs kids when you have them in your care? You do the things you want to do. And we do the, the work about the, the legal stuff, the IRS stuff, the thank you notes to the donors. We take care of all of that. You do what you want to do, and that's doing good things in the community. So that's what we do, and we do, do that 600 times every day. With every, we have 600 funds just like that. And then we have things that we do uh, for ourselves. Well, I say for ourselves, for the foundation. We have a board. Our board is very strong and very effective. When, when I came, it's, it's kind of funny. We, our board met every quarter, and we had a speaker come, and we did a little dog and pony show, and we shared about... It's like a good board meeting, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, no stress, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, what in the world are we doing when, when, when I became president? Because I was kind of embarrassed that there was nothing exciting really going on. And so, anyway, we kind of livened that up a little more. We, we decided to have the most powerful board that we could do anything that we needed to do. We just make a few phone calls and those folks could make it happen. Mm-hmm. So if you looked at our board, you would see some very powerful people and who, who understand where we need to be going and how we will be getting there. Um, where are you going? Where is, what, what's the goal? Of the, the goal of the foundation by the time I retire, which is sooner than later, is that we are at $100 million in assets that we um, are outside of Jackson. We've changed our name to the foundation. Okay, so it's not the West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation. It is, but it isn't. Okay. What we found is that as we are trying to become more things for our community, because sometimes things are bigger than Jackson, and we need to be bigger than Jackson Mm -hmm. at times, that we have a way of helping. Because what we are committed to are causes that are kind of outside of what we do. We want to help you be what you are. Mm -hmm. And if we can help um, in some way things that are bigger than just Jackson, maybe it's a statewide organization, that yes, we can can help you manage your endowment. And one of the things that we really believe in are endowments. Mm -hmm. And and the reason I say this is, is to help us get to where we're going. When we get to 100 million, we want most of that to be an endowment. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're at $33 million in assets. Almost $26 million of that $33 million is endowments. Okay. There are two types of nonprofits. And, uh, and you having been in the nonprofit world, there are two types of nonprofits. They're struggling mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's endowed. <laughs> and so... Well, well, just for our listeners' sake, can you explain what an endowment is? An endowment is you take a... A block of dollars. Say if you want to have an, endow- an endowment of $100,000. You take that and you say, this is what we're going to use and invest, and we're going to live off the income of that. Mm-hmm. That's your long-term future of that organization. Yeah, so so if, say, a large school in the area has a $100,000 endowment, it may be generate 6% interest. Um, y'all take a small portion of that mm-hmm. 6%, but then the rest of that goes to paying for whatever the school needs to yes. pay for. And we'll do two things. We'll give you a 4% income stream, and we'll use that other 2% to grow. We want the endowment to grow. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and you have to be committed to endowments. Yeah, it's a long-term play. It's a long-term thing. And if you want to see your organization 100 years from now, you need to be planning 100 years from now. Yeah. I want to be retired at some point in my life, so what have I been doing? I, I tell... Buying houses. <laughs> <laughs> How do you make $100,000 in the housing market? Invest 200000 <laughs> But anyway, nonprofits... Um, you, you have to do the same thing that you tell your kids. I remember when I got my first job, I worked in East Tennessee as a campus minister, and I came back home to visit, and my dad said, son, are you putting anything away for your retirement? And I said, my retirement? Dad, I'm 21 years old. He said, son, are you putting anything away for your retirement? I said, dad, what I really want is a, is a, uh, a car, <laughs> a better car. He said, he kept saying this about retirement. And I thought, that's nothing, until you get to be looking at, someday I'm going to want to retire, and I want to retire and, and, and live better than I have. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's the Dave Ramsey in me. Yeah. But then again, nonprofits are the same way. If you think it's important to tell your children to start planning for their retirement, or your, your husband or your wife, yeah. then the same model is true with your nonprofit. If you want to see the thing sustainable, mm-hmm. you must begin to plan for the future of your nonprofit. And once again, there are two types of nonprofits. They're struggling and there's endowed. And so in this process, we have been determined that we're going to grow our endowments. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started um, in 1991 with the foundation, we had a million and a half dollars in endowment. And that's for not just for the foundation, but it's for the individual causes. Causes, okay. Mm-hmm. And so we started with that one endowment and began to grow endowments. Mm-hmm. And some of it, our board has deliberately decided we're going to put this money aside because we need to practice what we preach. So we have board endowments and we have endowments for the Kirkland Cancer Center. We have endowments for the Ayers Children's Medical Center. We have endowments for... Uh, historical structures. We, we have all kinds of endowments that we manage. And you get back to what's the future of your nonprofit? Mm-hmm. And it's based on your long term vision. And your long term vision of any nonprofit is uh, how big is your endowment? Because as big as your endowment is, that's about as far as you're going to go. And you need to be putting money back. Um, like Dave Ramsey would say, 15% of your income mm-hmm. needs to go to your your retirement, and you need to be doing the same thing with your nonprofit. You need to be growing an endowment because it creates the sustainability. What happens in, in a recession? Well, as we learned, a uh, recession can be very detrimental to nonprofits, mm-hmm. and you have that, that, that income, that block of dollars that you could from if you needed to if it's your own on your own dollars and um, and it can help you become sustainable Mm. so uh, what's what's the goal of the foundation Uh, down the road 100 million uh, an organization that is sustainable that will have such an impact in our community uh, that it's kind of mind-boggling well it's not just the the West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation will be sustainable it's the, it's the nonprofits that help make Jackson Jackson or yes yes um, and part of this in like in my life I was a uh, 
executive director of a, a campus ministry in East Tennessee when I graduated from college. And it was struggling, and we were able to get it up, and it was an organization of the year. At, and so anyway, it became a viable part of that campus. Well, I, when I went to work at Freed Hardeman, it was sad to go back and check on how they were doing. And what they did, they had a board member who had a son that couldn't find a job. So they hired the board member's son who couldn't find a job, let him run the student center, and within a year's time, it closed. Bad leadership, bad board leadership, bad executive director, and I've been determined that I did not want that to happen when I'm gone. Yeah. And so this organization should be large enough that it has such an impact on this community that if we needed to impact the lives of third graders and their reading, that the foundation is large enough that it has taking that little small fee from whatever the, the funds that are in there, mm -hmm. that small fee multiplied many times can be used to make an impact on some cause that helps our community. Sometimes the numbers at the foundation can be kind of large and people go, y'all ought not be so big. And, or, or they, they get jealous that, that it, you know, y'all are just the hospital. No, it, we're something very different than the hospital. We're not the hospital. Mm -hmm. We're very separate from the hospital. But what we, we want to do is to have an impact on our community that will be, um, have some major impact on our, our community. Look at what we're doing with Scarlet Lope. Look at what we're doing with special needs kids. I was in a meeting this morning with James Ross, and here we have the Therapy and Learning Interim, Center. Interim CEO of Weston's Healthcare. Mm -hmm. And here we have the Therapy and Learning, Learning Center, where we take care of every special needs child in West Tennessee. Mm -hmm. One little comment here. No one wants the special needs children. I don't see another hospital system coming in and say, let us have those children. Mm. I don't see uh, anybody else, any other nonprofit coming in. When they closed down, we took them on. That group of young people, we're always going to have them. We need to take care of those kids. Mm -hmm. And we do that gladly every year yeah. at a loss of a million dollars or more a year taking care of some of the most precious, precious children in our community. Mm. They're just like every other child. They want to run and play and color and sing and dance, mm -hmm. and they're caught in a body, and those parents see it every day, and, and sometimes the rest of us don't understand that, and we choose not to be involved with it, but so glad that we're involved with that yeah. to make that possible. So that being said, how can someone get involved because it's kind of it's kind of a weird organization. You've got mm -hmm. the different funds, but then you also have your mm -hmm. own your own goals. fund and goals. How can someone get involved? I know you guys have a big gala every year. Mm -hmm. We a lot of things that we do, and I said we have a limited number of things that we do. We'll have a century bike ride that'll happen on August the twenty seventh. Um, we'll have uh, a marathon, half marathon, and five k that will happen downtown on. September the 24th, raising money for our heart center. And um, that brings cutting edge um, clinical trials to heart patients, the most critically ill heart patients. Things like 
we can now replace a, um, a valve in your heart without having to open up your body cavity. Wow. We go through a vein. We can remove a clot from your brain by going through a vein, not having to open up here and save a lot of rehab time. You know, instead of it having a stroke and all the damage, that's what these clinical trials have done in Jackson, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be funding more of that so that that happens, so that the most critically ill patients get cutting edge health care. Then the charity gala will raise $200,000 to go to the Ayers Children's Medical Center and the Kirkland Cancer Center, two of the most wonderful organizations in our community. You take, we take care of every sick child and we do not ask uh, if you can or cannot pay. Cancer patients. We have brought the most, some of the latest technologies in the treatment of cancer is in that building. Some, we've hired so many new doctors that you do not need to leave this town to be able to have some of the, the best treatment for cancer. And um, there, you could come to the gala, run a marathon, run a 5K, come and volunteer. Those are some of the things that we do. But otherwise, if, if you have a dream, mm -hmm. if you have a dream where you want to do something to help our community, uh, you can do that. Special needs kids, uh, after school programs. Uh, we have so many where people are working with groups of young people trying to make young people's lives better and people get along better. Um, if you have a dream, I think we can help you do realize that dream. Sounds like a great place to work, Frank. Yeah, well, it is. Well, thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for helping to make Jackson a better place and choosing to call it home. And thank you for letting me be here. Today's podcast was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Co. To find out more about The Co., visit their website at attheco.com. To find out more about our Jackson home and to read about how amazing Jackson is, visit ourjacksonhome.com.